You are the beautiful body of Christ. And how pleased God must be to see every one of you here today at Mass. From the youngest child to the oldest member of the parish, to the one who is so devout and holy, prayerful, and in love with God, to the one who has many questions and doubts, to the one who wonders, why am I here today? To all of us, we make up that beautiful body of Christ. And it's getting bigger and bigger. Not that God's getting fat, but nonetheless, the body of Christ keeps growing bigger and bigger. It wasn't four years ago that Father Gregory Parks, now Bishop of Pensacola, Tallahassee, came first through those doors, first, not last, but first into an empty church with a throng of people outside waiting to come into this beautiful building after having Mass for a number of years in a cafeteria, crowded as all get out, but Mass and Holy nonetheless come in into this beautiful, beautiful building. God has been very generous to this little spot in the world. And how happy the people were to hear the word of God after a hundred years of captivity in Babylon. Now they are set free. And the religious leaders have to reflect on what? Hmm, how are we going to get this new nation of Israel back in order? Everything's in chaos. First, they say. First, first, before we build our homes, before we build our municipal buildings, first, we will build a temple fitting for the Lord. And so for a long period of time, about three hours, the prophet reads from the Torah how good, how generous God has been. And people are crying, crying out of happiness, sheer joy, tremendous joy. It's one thing to know that God loves us when we've been delivered. We finally got the job. We finally got the money for the mortgage payment. We finally got some marriage counseling. Our grandson, granddaughter, finally got away from drinking too much or, or drugs. We've been delivered, and we see this great and wondrous God. But I think the secret to life, in some ways, is to know and appreciate how much God loves us when things are going very, very bad and things are very dark. That's the secret, because it is a fact. It is a fact that God loves us so intently. But see, sometimes we think that, that God is only there to give us what we want. And when we don't get what we want, now I have my doubts. I have a lack of faith. I don't even love you anymore because you're not doing as I want you to do. But God's love runs much deeper than that. When Father Gregory walked in this church for the first time, don't you think there were happy tears, not just on him, but all those of you present for that opening day of this church? Praise God, praise God, praise God. But to build a church, I've had my own experience of that. I walked into a church five years ago yesterday with just tears streaming down my face. Why? We finally did it. We finally got it built. Oh my gosh, the work. But that's not as hard as starting a new parish. Just like starting from nothing. 
having to get the agreement at the school to have it in the cafeteria and to get a few of the leadership together to, let's have some Eucharistic ministers. Where do we buy a chalice? Where do we get the missiles? How do we make this happen? But it's even harder, Jesus Christ found that out, to create a church, a people of God. Not a building, not even a cafeteria, but a people of God. To gather them together, to focus on God and not themselves. The Gospel of Luke is in many ways a, a synopsis of all the Gospel, just what we heard today. And it's sort of like a mission statement. Now, a lot of corporations have mission statements. In my opinion, a lot of words, 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 words. Even in our own Catholic school in Sanford, All Souls, there was a mission statement put on kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Our superintendent schools did that. What kindergartner is going to read that? Learning Catholic education through Catholic faith. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, come on. Simplify it. If you're going to live by a mission statement, make it simple, intelligible, but also make it worth your while. A suggestion especially for you candidates and catechumens. To know God, to love God, to serve God with all your heart. You learned, many of you learned that when you were small children. You were like, what does this mean? With a whole series of other battery of statements before confirmation. To know God, to love God, to serve God with all your heart. You notice it has nothing to do with us as individuals. It has everything to do with God and praising God. To know God. To know God, you have to read the Bible. There was a time in our church, not just the Jewish people, even our own church, a lot of people didn't read. Then it was written in a language we didn't understand. Wow, that's interesting. So how do, how do we come to know God in some ways? Interesting way, we looked at pictures in the windows and the pictures in the windows taught us stories. We learned about God from our parents, from our grandparents. They taught us our prayers. They taught us our devotions. To love God. What is it to love God? To love God is to, to think beyond ourselves. To turn our lives over to God. Well, that's good on good days. But the bad and rough days, the days I'm tired hard to turn my life over to God, to serve God. Every one of us present here at this Mass, you are and I am vitally important. <coughs> and if one child was missing, <coughs> if one person, not as devout as others, was missing, it would not be as whole. God would not be as pleased. We are all gathered here for a purpose. Not to suck in air, and blow out carbon dioxide, but to make this Mass what it is, holy. I'm not the only one who makes it holy. Every one of us makes this Mass holy by our participation. But we have to believe, and we have to believe strongly. I had a few days off this past week, and I had the opportunity to read, of, oh, caught up on my reading, read a great book, I love history, on the Reformation. 
an appropriate day to mention the Reformation. Oh, it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. It wasn't so much the people of God, but the clergy and the upper clergy and even the Holy Fathers, if we could use the term holy. So much, so much sadness, so much walking away from knowing, loving, serving God. It was more like, no love, serve me. Where was God in the picture? And some of our greatest saints who truly loved the church, who asked God to fill them with the Holy Spirit, went on their knees begging these great, great popes, please, I beg you, if you love God and the church, reform your life. Didn't say reform the church. Reform your life. Martin Luther, he saw tremendous abuse. And so slowly, Martin Luther, Zwangli, Calvin, and so many reformers began sort of thinking on their own, not so much addressing the abuse, but the theology. The teaching of the church already 1,500 years passed on by the apostles. We've had 23 ecumenical councils in our history. The very first one, the Council of Jerusalem, visited by all the apostles, including St. Paul. A lot of debating, a lot of arguing, that's the way councils go. But the church has always taught that the council has a higher authority than even the pope. That's why a lot of popes don't call a council, because it supersedes their authority. But they all come together, these bishops, and at this early one, the first one, the apostles came together. Their argument was, one of many, circumcision. The minority opinion, one. Because they gather together for prayer, and basically, you don't have to become Jewish by ceremony to become Christian. But then more councils, more. there's been one council for the Protestant churches. The Council of Marlborough, early on during the Reformation. Only one, we've had 23. At the council, the debate was of all sorts of things. They discussed, let's get rid of the vestments of the priest. He's supposed to look like us. Take away the statues. We don't need those images. Take away the windows. Some good reforms offer the people the precious blood in the chalice and, of course, have the mass in the vernacular. But then things really got awry. Because then the theology, they start, oh, we're changing this. We, if we change the externals, we can change the teaching. And, of course, Martin Luther had already done his changing, and, of course, he found himself a little preeminent, somewhat, one of the first reformers, not the very first, but one of the ones who survived the stake. And so they're discussing the Holy Eucharist and a great debate with the other reformers. And they said, it's only a symbol. It's not the Holy Eucharist, it's not the body of Christ. And, and Martin Luther says, you, ca you can't change that. It's in Scripture. And like like mutiny on the bounty? They say to Martin Luther, who are you to tell us? If you've changed all this, we can keep going. And thus begins the great rift. And so they're debating on and on for days about the Holy Eucharist, and Martin Luther is reading from Scripture, John's Gospel, chapter 6. The Protestants reading from the scripture, John's gospel, saying you have to believe that's the body of Christ. And they say, we don't have to believe anything you say. 
These are all the other reformers. So Martin Luther, and this is written by a Protestant writer, so I take it very credible. They're writing about one of their own. They're not trying to change history. So, and, this, and I've heard from Catholic writers too, Martin Luther takes out his knife on a wood table and ascribes the words, this is my body. And all the reformers are looking at him, and he says, you can take everything away you want, but you cannot take away from me that this is really God's body and blood. Now that's a, a non-Catholic speaking. This church of ours, this body of Christ, is unwieldy at best. But for all our struggles and all our trials and all the sin, God's divine hand rests upon it. We are so sinful and so unable to kind of walk up to the plate. But God, God protects the Holy Church. And praise God today, we are respectful. We are civil. We're even thoughtful to our sisters and brothers. That's what makes us holy and pleasing to God. And now, to be thoughtful, kind, to those who don't believe at all like we believe, who see God in a totally different way, whose lives are so different from ours, whose speech is so different, experience so different, and yet God in his heaven looks at us, a mature faith, a faith that has had many struggles, and says, now, now you know me. Now you love me. I want you to serve me.